This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That is Ephesians 6.18. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you guys leave a review. I had someone send me an email that actually made a great point. Not everybody knows exactly how to leave a review. So uh, maybe I'll do something like that in the future where I'll kind of give you guys an idea. But if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts and Spotify especially, it's very, very easy to leave a review and a few comments. We would really appreciate you guys doing that. Again, just a reminder, we are also a donation-based ministry, so we get some money from advertisements, but the overwhelming majority of how we're able to operate is guys exactly like you that are giving money either one time or on a monthly basis. We have a donation page on our website, undaunted.life backslash donate. Also, we are partnered with Origin. I'm an ambassador for them. So guys, if you have boots, work boots, if you wear jeans, if you do jujitsu, they make the best geese on the planet. They've got hunting gear. I just got my hunting gear here recently. They make the best stuff on the planet. You can go to their website and check it all out. Use the promo code undaunted. So U-N-D-A-U-N-T-E-D to check out their stuff at a discount. So you get 10% off when you use that promo code. And then just wanted to point out a couple of things here before I go over what we're going to be doing for quick hitters. So I uh, poked the bear again with Pitbull comments because uh, let me actually look and see this. So uh, as I was preparing this show, uh, this popped up because basically all these Pitbull stories find me, but this is New York Post. Seven-year-old Louisiana girl mauled to death in her yard by neighbors Pitbull. Now, uh, again, we could have left the type of dog out of that and you would have known exactly what type of dog d- uh, did that. So I posted that online and obviously like I- I've talked about abortion, I've talked about illegal immigration, pedophilia, transgenderism, everything, but I never get more hate and more like nonsense than whenever I talk about pit bulls. But again, go back to episode 377 of this podcast. Okay. 377. I don't even know what it's called and go to the 49 minute mark. <clears throat> so if you're a pit bull person, if you're a pit bull apologist, I want you to go there with an open mind, but, you know, acting as if you're an intellectually honest person, you should, you should be that anyway. And I want you to start there because I break down the entire argument as to why that breed needs to be eradicated. That is a wild animal. That is not a pet. So I'm going to just save that for all you guys. Episode 377, go to the 49 minute mark. Now, one quick thing before the quick hitters. Um, I don't know that I've ever actually asked for this on the show, but I'm going to ask now because, you know, it's also in line of what we're going to be talking about today on the show. I need to ask for your prayers specifically for my voice and my throat. So as you guys can tell for a long time, I've had this gravelly voice basically since whenever you started listening to the show. But over the last couple of months, maybe five, six weeks or so, my voice has gotten progressively worse. Not like sickness, not like a strep throat thing, but my voice has got progressively weaker, uh, harder to speak. Um, You know, I'm literally in my house, like texting with my wife because speaking is so uncomfortable. I've gone to tons of doctors over the years. I've got another round of doctors that I'm going to see basically starting from the beginning and trying to go up, but it is it is becoming uh, a, a major problem for this, uh, so much so that I'm trying to consider what happens if my voice completely goes. How do we keep the show going? Uh, you know, how do we keep content coming out to you guys? You know, I'm, I'm considering all those things uh, on my own, but it's it's affecting 
how I do business, but it's also affecting me and my relationships because I am evaluating whether or not I'm going to talk with somebody or hang out with somebody or talk, you know, talk to them on the phone or engage in a discussion with, with somebody about anything because I'm like, is this worth my voice? Cause you know, this week I've got two interviews I'm recording. I'm recording this for you now. Um, and on this particular podcast, hopefully you'll notice a little bit of a difference. Well, hope, not hopefully, but like you'll probably notice a little bit of a difference because I'm going to be taking way more breaks. I'll probably be clearing my throat way more than normal coughing. I'm just gonna leave all that in. It just kind of is what it is. But I would really, really enjoy your your prayers for that because it's one of those deals to where it's like, this is my skill set. God gave me a voice and he gave me a level of discernment and wisdom to be able to speak into particular issues and a very low uh, level of give a crap. And so like, you know, in terms of other people's opinions and uh, feelings. And so um, it's, it's just interesting that that's my battle is like, okay, it's not like I've got a hurt finger or like constant, you know, throbbing in my left knee. It's my voice. So it's like the gift that I was given is the number one thing that is seemingly being attacked at this moment. So I would really enjoy your prayers on that. So in the quick hitter segment today, and guys, just a little side note on this, this particular episode, there's sometimes where I'm really excited to talk about uh, particular topics. And there's other times where it's like, ah, oh, you know, I'll talk about this, but I'm really fired up about today's episode because uh, we're not going to be doing a, a, a solo episode next week. Cause we got a couple of interviews coming out that I'm so excited to share with you guys, but I really want to talk about all these quick hitters. And then obviously the main point of what we're talking about today, I'm just Jack. So in the quick hitters, we're going to talk about the Texas Supreme court ruling against a father that is trying to prevent the chemical castration of his son by the boy's pediatrician mother, the Manosphere influencer Andrew Tate being arrested on allegations of sex trafficking, police arresting a man they think is responsible for the brutal stabbing murders of four college students in Idaho, Donald Trump blaming pro-lifers for the lack of a red wave during the midterm elections last year, and Time Magazine saying that white supremacy is the origin of exercise. Is it any wonder why I'm so excited to talk about all these today? But the reason why we're talking about what we're talking about today and why I named this episode, When Prayer is All You Have, is because I did something very interesting here uh, about a week and a half ago. I decided to do something that I have not done in years. And I've, I've talked about the reasons why on this podcast. But what I decided to do was to sit down and watch an NFL game. Because obviously, I don't like being preached at. You know, I've been around, you know, at Super Bowl parties and Thanksgiving when, you know, when a game is on, but I've not sat down to watch a game and see what was going on, right? Because I'm being preached out with Black Lives Matter messages and all this nonsense about, you know, coaches of a particular color and all that. But on the Monday night football game on January the 2nd of 2023, it was the third or the 12 and three Buffalo Bills versus the 11 and four Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. So the winner of this game, it had like implications for the playoff seating. And, you know, I've, you know, seen a bunch of videos about Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and all these guys on the Buffalo Bills. And you got the Bills Mafia diving through tables. And it's like, man, it seems cool to be a Bills fan, even though like apparently God hates them because they lost four Super Bowls in a row and then haven't sniffed a Super Bowl since. But I was like, I'm going to sit down and watch that game. I literally had like an hour and a half, two hours of one evening where my mind was just blown out. And I was like, I can't do anything else for work. I'm just going to sit down and watch Monday Night Football. So uh, there was also a fantasy football connection because, again, I've told you guys I play fantasy football with a group of buddies mainly so that we can go to a restaurant and have fun and do a draft and not really take ourselves seriously. But I was in the championship uh, round somehow with my buddy and I have uh, Josh Allen. And he had like uh, one of the Bengals receivers or something. So there was like something on the line there for our fantasy football connection. And, you know, I was actually planning to sit there and, you know, watch every play, you know, because I don't normally do that. I normally like turn the volume off of a baseball game or a football game and I'll read and look up whenever there's a play or something like that. But again, for whatever reason, 
I sat down and I'm like, I'm going to watch every play of this game and I'm just going to hear the commentary. I'm at least going to watch until I fall asleep. And then most of you know where this is going because there was a play that happened that literally <laughs> like tore a hole in the universe, apparently. With about five minutes left to go in the first quarter, Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow, who's also on my fantasy football team on the bench, he threw a short pass to wide receiver T. Higgins. And so T. Higgins uh, collided. Uh, he, he ran across the middle and he collided with a second year Buffalo Bill safety named Damar Hamlin, who's 24 years old. And everything about it looked like a normal play. Everything about it. The, the pass, the catch, the, the tackle, you know, the whistles, like even, even the, the camera people, they immediately shifted to, Hey, let's see, let's show the coach for two seconds. Let's show the linebacker for a few seconds. Let's show, you know, Joe Burrow again. But then the, the camera, again, the camera angle went to all the other different places, you know, the different places or whatever. But then one of the cameras was on a, a particular player. I believe it was on the Cincinnati Bengals. And there was this immediate out of the ordinary reactions from players on both teams, the, the referees, and also the medical personnel. And it was immediate. And I'm like, okay, someone's clearly hurt. Like, but I, I, I don't remember like what happened on the play. It must've been off the ball because, you know, it was such a, you know, typical tap tackle, but I, I just went back and I literally, I'm like rewinding the play over and over and I'm trying to figure out who got hit and, you know, seeing everyone's reactions I'm like, oh, this is maybe a really bad concussion. Maybe even someone's paralyzed or something like that. But then I go to Twitter and I see the play from a different angle and I see DeMar Hamlin make the tackle, stand up, adjust his face mask in his helmet, and then just fall backwards like completely like a sack of potatoes. He just gets up and then collapses. And the immediate concern by the players is not something that I know that I've ever seen before. I mean, you know, you've seen broken legs and broken necks and all that in football, but the immediate concern was, was astonishing. Then there was the hush of the crowd, like not even, not a sound again, huge game. Everyone's all fired up and liquored up huge game. Not, not a peep players on both sides were in shock. Many of them were crying. Again, we don't know what happened at this point. I mean, and then there were sporadic groups and individuals that were praying. There's reports on the broadcast of CPR having to be administered. Another thing that I don't think I've ever heard in a football game before. There was an ambulance on the field almost immediately. And in any really bad situation within football, when an ambulance is brought out on the field, it's usually after a little bit. But I mean, the ambulance was there like in a couple of minutes, which again is astonishing. Players from both teams also began, started crowding around DeMar and, and the health staff, which was odd. It was almost like they were literally trying to block the cameras from, from being able to see what was going on. Um, and as the minutes kept ticking away, there was something that I don't, again, I've never experienced watching a football game. There was a sense of dread that began to envelop the entire situation. And I think a lot of people had the same realization around the same point. And, you know, I was seeing it on Twitter and getting text messages from random people. At this point, we all thought we had just witnessed a death on the field at an NFL game on Monday Night Football. A death. A player dying. Right? The broadcasters didn't know what to do. They kept cutting to, you know, broadcasters back in New York. And then the broadcasters that were there, I think it was Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. And they didn't know what to do or know what to say. On Twitter, everyone was essentially saying two things, you know, pray for DeMar and then please, 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 please be okay. Like we're all expecting, you know, loading into the ambulance and, you know, holding up the thumbs up, which we've seen, which there was none of that. You know, the, the ambulance leaves the field. There's, there's no thumbs up whatsoever. There was a report initially, which I think was debunked that, you know, the NFL said that the teams, you know, would have five minutes to warm up, which they didn't do because I mean, 
this was a long time that that play had stopped. You know, players and coaches and all that, they're on the field like it became pretty clear that they were not going to be able to play this game. Uh, the coaches convened and the players uh, decided that they were going to go to the locker room. The game was eventually postponed and then later canceled altogether. Um, the initial reports on DeMar Hamlin's health was that he had to be resuscitated on the field, given CPR and resuscitated right there on the field. And then again, once he got to the hospital. So this guy flatlined twice as, as far as we know, like no pulse, no heartbeat, you know, no oxygen getting to the brain, all that twice that we know of. And then after all that, there's so much emotion that there's so much craziness. I mean, it was hard to sleep that night because you're like, man, what's going on with this guy? You're just worried about him. But then he wakes up, DeMar Hamlin does, and he was able to communicate via, via writing. And the first question he asks is, did we win the game? Which is, which is kind of interesting. And then he had the breathing tube removed uh, and he was, you know, talking to his family and to his teammates. You know, as of right now, uh, it seems he was released yesterday as of the recording of this. He was released from an Ohio hospital, going to be transferred to a hospital in Buffalo where he's going to continue his treatment and all that. But it looks like the, the guy's going to be okay. And again, that's in a little over a week, we went from, holy crap, we just watched a young kid die on the field during a football game to, hey, he might make a full recovery. And by the way, can you imagine if he comes back to play for the Buffalo Bills? Can you imagine the ovation? Can you, Im- like, it's astonishing to even think about. But he, he actually did post on Instagram uh, over the week, and he actually posted this. When you put real love uh, when you put real love out into the world, it comes back to you three times as much. The love has been overwhelming, but I'm thankful for every single person that prayed for me and reached out. We brung the world back together behind this. If you know me, you know this is only going to make me stronger. On a long road, keep praying for me. And he posted some more times over the weekend when the Bills played. I don't even remember who they played, but, you know, oh, they played the Patriots, but they played again over the weekend. And just an astonishing thing considering where he started and where we went. And then a lot's been made about this. Uh, he originally did a GoFundMe, and I'm actually going to click on the link here to see what the the updated amount is. But he originally, wow, <clears throat> he originally did a GoFundMe for $2,500 to raise money for, I think, a daycare that his mom runs or that his mom, you know, works at or something like that to get toys for underprivileged kids, right? And that was $2,500 was the goal. And after two years, it hadn't even reached $2,500. As of right now, they've raised $8.69 million on that GoFundMe page. I remember before I went to bed that night, it was just under a million. I'm like, oh, this is going to be over a million. And by the next day, it was at 2 million and then 3 million. And here we are sitting here again, probably eight or nine days later, $8.69 million on the Chasing M's Foundation community toy drive. Just absolutely astonishing. But I want to go back to Cincinnati for a second. To the moment the ambulance began to drive off the field with DeMar Hamlin inside. As the ambulance is pulling away, you see right, you right there in the middle of the field, because there's cameras all on it, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, Sean McDermott, gathers the entire Bills team, they all take a knee, and they pray together as a team in front of everyone. And it didn't seem the least bit odd or ill-timed. Not the least bit. And then all over social media, in the, the regular media sphere, immediately, and for days and days now, commentators, anchors, celebrities, athletes, politicians, content creators, influencers, everybody, they're all saying that they are and that you should be praying for DeMar Hamlin. And it hasn't seemed the least bit controversial or bothersome. 
And then the day after the incident, so this would have been Tuesday of last week, on the show NFL Live, which is live on ESPN, football commentator and retired NFL quarterback Dan Orlovsky did this. Um, football gave me everything. You know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football mm-hmm. as well, that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say, like, we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want to, it's just on my heart that I want to pray for it is. DeMar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that your God and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad. We're angry. Um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray. Truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 It's beautiful. And it didn't feel the least bit awkward or lead to protests or demands that Orlovsky be canceled or fired. And then after it became pretty clear after a few days that Hamlin was going to survive, right? Like a miracle, it seemed like that he was going to survive. The Bills did a press conference where players spoke and also their head coach, Sean McDermott, addressed the media and took questions. And during that presentation, he said this. Uh, The amount of faith, hope and love that we saw on display over the last three days has been nothing short of amazing And, and just as important as anything. Is glory to God for, um, for his keeping DeMar and his family in the palm of his hand over the last couple of days and his healing powers. And that didn't seem the least bit forced or unnatural. And then in one of the first NFL games back after this incident, the Tennessee Titans and Jacksonville Jaguars, I think this was last Saturday, this happened. What you're seeing now is what Doug Peterson talked about, that we felt the whole NFL as a community came together this week and he talked about this. Both teams coming together in prayer before this game starts. It's just an unbelievable deal for both teams to get together and pray and thank God for what's happened this week. And for those of you that are not watching this on Rumble or on YouTube, it is literally what you would expect. It was the entire Tennessee Titans team and the entire Jacksonville Jaguars team at the Jacksonville Jaguars stadium. there together, all kneeling, holding hands, praying to God. I don't know who led the prayer. I don't know that it even really matters, but it didn't feel the least bit weird or uncomfortable. Now, before I went to bed uh, the night that this happened, so this would have been a, a couple of Mondays ago on Monday Night Football, before I went to bed, I already knew that this was way more than a football story. Everyone could feel that. Everyone knew that. The text messages I was getting from people that I didn't even know watched football was pretty astonishing. 
and even way more than this, you know, that this was going to be even way more than a story about a young professional athlete that might lose his life, right? What I knew in that moment and what has been reinforced in, in the days since and will likely be reinforced in the weeks after, as I've reflected on everything that was happening in and around that situation, is that even though in the West and specifically America, we have become so secularized, we still know that God is real, that we need him, and that we can communicate with him directly. We know that. People will say they're atheists. They'll say, I don't really believe in a you know, boogeyman in the sky or whatever, those types of things. But we know that he's there. And it reminded me of a recent Alistair Begg sermon that I actually listened to within a few days of this all happening where he talked about Romans 1. And so if you look at Romans 1 verses 18 through 20, I'll read them here. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God has made his presence known to us, to all of us. He's not hidden from us, right? He doesn't need to, you know, write in the sky, hi, I'm God and I'm here for you, right? We know it. It's written on our hearts. Why? Because we're his children. We are made in his image. And we know that, right? Because you've seen this, you know, with basically any tragedy that happens from a natural disaster to a mass shooting or something like that. The thoughts and prayer, you know, when people say thoughts and prayers, right? That's become something that could be easily mocked now, right? Oh, yours. Oh, you're sending thoughts and prayers down to the hurricane victims. I'm sending money and bottles of water. Ha ha. You know that kind of thing. But the only statements and comments that have seemed odd since the beginning of this Demar Hamlin thing was where the people only said our thoughts are with DeMar and the Bills. Because I remember the NFL released a statement, and they said our thoughts are with DeMar Hamlin, his family, and the Bills community. Something like that. Our thoughts. Not our thoughts and prayers, just our thoughts. That seemed odd. I've seen other people, I forget who it was, I think even on the broadcast, I think it was Joe Buck, he couldn't bring himself to say prayer was happening on the field. He's like, oh, look at him getting together, showing a moment of solidarity for DeMar Hamlin. Like It was just kind of weird and kind of vapid. But in that moment, watching what was going on with that young man and what I witnessed was the veil of secularism being torn down. Because, at least I didn't see it. We didn't see any of these new atheists, you know, these, these people that love to get on you know, Twitter and Instagram and tell people how stupid they are that they believe in the boogeyman in the sky. We didn't see any of them chastising people for calling out to God in their grief and concern. We didn't see any of that. We weren't seeing Darwinian humanists point out the folly of anthropomorphizing, you know, a highly evolved chimp and feeling bad for his physical injury. Because again, that's what they believe. They believe that all of us are just highly evolved chimps. They used to be fish. They used to be goo. They used to be stardust, right? That's what these people believe. We weren't seeing them point, point that out, though. They were pretty quiet. And we weren't seeing secular leftists shouting down people for mentioning prayer and God as being some sort of an affront to their freedom from religion, right? Not at all. We saw an almost society-wide acceptance that sometimes prayer is all you have. Because let, let's go to the hurricane example real quick. When a big, major hurricane happens somewhere in the world and people are, are, are dying or have died, 
or they're, they're without any type of, they don't have underwear. They don't have bottles of water. They don't have food. They don't have anything. There are things that you can do. You, you can send money to the Red Cross. You can load up the back of your truck with bottled water and drive down there and start giving it out to people. There are a number of things that you actually can do. You know, when tornadoes rip through Oklahoma, which happens periodically, that's one of the reasons why I own a chainsaw. So I can go and help, you know, cut trees down for people or, you know, those, those types of things, right? There are things you can do. But in that moment when DeMar Hamlin's on the field and we think he's dying, what can I do? I'm sitting in bed in Oklahoma, and he's fighting for his life in Ohio. What, what exactly can I do? The, the people in the stands, what exactly were they able to do? Well, even the players that were on the field, what, what were they to do? They could do nothing except clear the pathway for these skilled professionals to come and try to save this young man's life, which they did. Incredible. Incredible. But all they had was prayer. And if that's all you have, you have everything because you are convening with the almighty God of the universe who holds you in his hand and is here to prosper and protect you. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get everything you want. He's not a genie. Sorry, Joel Osteen. Like, you're not just going to name it and claim it. But that means when you don't understand why something's happening, when you're confused about what to do next, when you have no idea how you can enter into the situation to make it better, you can convene with the Almighty. You don't have to go talk to some man in a box and have him shoot the prayers up from there. You can talk to him directly yourself. And what an incredible thing that is. And just think about where we've come as a culture. Because I remember Tim Tebow back in the Florida Gators days and even into the Denver Broncos days and even into the, into the New York Jets days that he would be criticized and chastised for daring to pray on the field. And people are like, well, oh, you know, there's this prayer. It's all these non-Christians, you know, leftist atheists that are like, oh, well, isn't there a scripture about not praying in public and doing all those things and praying in private? Well, um, what I remember from watching him play at Florida is that he would go to a part of the sideline by himself and kneel down and pray to God. And it was ESPN and ABC and, and CBS and all these other places where their games were shown. They decided to put the camera on him. He didn't make prayer the story. They did. And he was chastised for that. And he was constantly asked about it. And T-bowing became a thing. Everybody remember that? Some people did it in support of Tim Tebow. Most people did it to try and ridicule the man. And somehow, our culture has become significantly more secular since that time. And yet in this scenario, prayer makes sense. I don't know what goes into that. I don't think everybody has an axe to grind against Tim Tebow. I don't think anybody, you know, prefers Demar Hamlin over Tim Tebow. Like, it's not that type of a situation. But it's almost like we know that God's there and that we can talk to him. Isn't that so incredible? All right, guys, let's hit the quick hitters. Now we'll go into the first one right here. The Texas Supreme Court ruling against a father that is trying to prevent the chemical castration of his son by the boy's pediatrician mother. 
So this is according to the Post Millennial. Jeffrey Younger has lost his court case to prevent his ex-wife from taking their son to California, where he could be medically transitioned. Younger has been trying to stop this from happening for years and said that he has now reached the end of the line. He wanted the courts to stop his ex-wife from taking the children to California and to protect his boys from medical mutilation at the hands of their mother, who is a pediatrician. The courts prevented him from forcing the mother to bring the boys back from California. Younger has accused her of using the children to help advertise her inclusive gender-affirming practice. The Supreme Court of Texas denied my mandamus, uh, effectively terminating my parental rights. My children are now subject to being chemically castrated in California. Texas is an empire of child abuse led by Texas judges, he said. The custody case was before the Supreme Court of Texas, which ruled against Younger. Younger has petitioned or has issued a petition on December 16th to try to regain his parental rights after his ex-wife, Dr. Ann uh, Jorgoulis, sorry, uh, took the boys to California. California has a law in place starting on Sunday that children in that state will not be returned to their home state in the event that the home state would prevent the child from being medically transitioned to present as the opposite sex. Younger wanted the boys brought home. California Senate Bill 107, proposed by State Senator Scott Weiner and signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom, will prohibit the enforcement of an order based on another state's law authorizing a child to be removed from their parent or guardian based on that parent or guardian allowing their child to receive gender-affirming health care or gender-affirming mental uh, gender affirming mental health care. Okay. So I've mentioned this story on the show quite a bit. Uh, a lot of you guys have been following this story for years and years. This was a young boy after his parents split up, you know, when basically the boy would go hang out with mommy, he would come back to, to daddy and would say things like, Oh, I'm a girl now. I'm my, my name's Luna. And the dad would be like, wait, what, what, what exactly are you talking about? And then after a little bit, the boy would be like, yeah, you know, I'm just a boy. Yeah. I just, whenever I'm around mommy, she, she likes to call me Luna and, you know, paint my nails and dress me up in girl clothes and stuff like that. And so this dad has been trying to prevent his, his kid from, from being abused by their mother for years and years and years now. And the Supreme court of Texas is disallowing that. But to, to talk about this a little bit more, for those of you listening in California, I know there's a lot of you, your own state is now becoming not only a sanctuary state for those that want to murder their unborn, unborn children, but a sanctuary for people that want to abuse their children and chemically or physically castrate and mutilate them. Because what's happening here is Texas has a law where they can remove the parental rights from the parent that is trying to force transition on their children, which is exactly what's happening here. But California has basically created a non-extradition rule to where if you move the kids to that state, and the state of Texas is like, hey, bring that kid back. That chick's crazy. We're going to keep her from cutting this boy's you know, genitals off or giving him you know, hormones that don't, uh, or he's not going to be able to reverse. But the state of California is basically saying, nope, we're not going to recognize the, the laws of any of the other 49 states. If you are here and you want to you know, uh, get uh, this treatment for your children or something like that, even though they can't consent to that, we're going to make sure that you can do that without any other states getting into it. Okay. Now, as I've said before on the show, this would never happen in our family because my wife's not a crazy satanic beast. But if she did become a crazy satanic beast and she was going to do this with one of my boys, I can tell you this right now. I would take both of those boys and y'all would never find us. Everybody listening to this right now can make it their life's work to try and find me and my boys and you wouldn't do it. I would do everything to protect those boys from that type of procedure from any of that type of lifestyle. And I know most of you listening to this know exactly where we're going with this. But it's an interesting point brought up by the father in that story. That his ex-wife, Dr. Ann you know, Gorgulas, it's G-E-O-R-G-U-L-A-S, that she wants to have an all-inclusive gender-affirming pediatrician practice. 
And what better thing can you have than that as part of that practice than to have two mascots that are your children? Hey, let's just chemically transition these kids and I'm going to show everybody how, how normal this is and how much they're thriving and how it's not that really, really that big of a deal. So why don't you bring your kids to me where I can make an unbelievable amount of money on the number of times they're going to have to come back and see me as we take them through this, this transfer from one gender to the other, as if that's a real thing, because as many people pointed out, and obviously Matt Walsh being, being the goat on this, that puts these kids on a conveyor belt, conveyor belt to surgery. So you start with the pills or actually you, you start with, you know, socially transitioning them. Then you start with the pills and then you start with actually, you know, changing things on their body, cutting off breast tissue, cutting off their penis, making a fake phallic like thing that you sew to the front of their crotch or whatever, those types of things. And it puts them on that conveyor belt. And once they're on it, they can't really stop. Cause again, these are children. They can't consent. They, they can't see the future. Their brains aren't going to be developed until they're mid twenties. But what I think should happen to her is obviously she should lose her practice. She should certainly lose her kids because this is not healthcare. This is the destruction of the human body, which you supposedly take an oath that you're not going to do when you become a doctor here in the United States of America. Well, let's go to my big takeaway on this one. It's actually two big takeaways. Number one, California will always lead the way in satanic depravity. I think we're seeing that now. And number two, more has to be done to prevent this satanic level of child abuse. Okay. So again, for those of you in California paying taxes in California, this is where your tax dollars are going to create a sanctuary for people to kill their children. And if they allow them to live to eventually chemically or physically mutilate them, that's what's happening. California seemingly will always lead the way. You cannot out California, California, no matter how much Illinois or New Jersey or New York or Oregon or tries, they will never do it. And there has to be more done to prevent things like this. So there needs to be federal mandates that prevent states like this from being able to create a law like this. Because think about it, because obviously I've argued for federalism and how much I think that's a good thing and states' rights and blah, blah, blah. But imagine if a state, let's pick a random one, Idaho, okay? Let's say Idaho decides, well, actually, that's going to be kind of funny because of another story we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But let's say Idaho said that, you know what, we're going to ignore federal law. We're going to make murder legal in the state of Idaho because states' rights are something, right? That is a great opportunity for the federal government to come in and say, nah, no, uh, no, freaking weirdo. No, you're not going to do that. Murder is super duper illegal, no matter where you are inside of these 50 states, lower or the greater United States. Not going to happen. Okay. More has to be done to prevent this. And so we have to be watching our governors and also the federal government and how they act because most of the laws are tending towards what California is doing and not away from it. Okay, so that's a big concern for the future. Again, we got to keep an eye on it. All right, next quick hitter here, Manosphere influencer Andrew Tate being arrested on allegations of sex trafficking. Okay, so this is according to the New York Post. Incendiary social media influencer Andrew Tate and his brother were busted in Romania Thursday, this was a few Thursdays ago, related to sex trafficking allegations, according to a report. Police and tactical gear descended on a villa where Andrew Tate and brother Tristan were staying Thursday to detain the British brothers on kidnapping and rape charges, judicial sources told Romanian outlet Libertia, Libertatia, whatever. Video shows the officers with battering rams and guns sweeping through the dark villa before escorting Tate into a car. The brothers in April had allegedly detained two young women, one with American citizenship and one Romanian, inside the villa against their will where they were subjected to physical violence and mental coercion, the Daily Mail reported. Police said that uh, the Tates allegedly formed an organized crime group and sexually exploited women by forcing them to perform pornographic demonstrations for the purpose of producing and disseminating those through social media platforms. 
So the reason why I want to talk about this today kind of gave me a good ample opportunity is I've been asked about Andrew Tate a lot, <laughs> like a lot, a lot. A lot of you guys wanted me to talk about him, give you my overall thoughts about him. And then here this big story breaks. And so, so here's kind of the thing. So I think that the best take I've heard, because everybody's given their opinion on Andrew Tate, the best take I've heard was from Ben Shapiro, where he said, Andrew Tate is really good at describing some of the problems that we see, but his prescriptions are terrible. So when you listen to his videos or when you see his videos on Instagram or, or TikTok or YouTube or anything like that, he says a lot of things that make sense. A lot of things about family, a lot of things about the role of men and manhood and masculinity in society. And I'm like, yep, double stamp, cosign all of that. But how he prescribes how to how to do those things is by having as many sexual partners as possible, doing whatever you can to make money, you know, putting down women, treating them like property. Like I obviously can't co-sign any of that nonsense, but it's kind of one of those things. I think it's a, uh, you know, uh, what is it? I forget the guy, uh, Mark Driscoll. I think he says, accept, reject, redeem, right? There's things with people or with platforms or philosophies that you can just accept outright. There's things that you have to reject outright. And then there's things that you can redeem. Okay. So I can accept the things that he says that are absolutely true about masculinity in, in the public square or whatever. And then reject outright all of his nonsense things that really do cross the line uh, into something that we wouldn't want to model in a Judeo-Christian society. But the thing about him is he predicted like that something like this would happen. Because if you don't remember this, he was kicked off of all social media platforms for just saying these totally egregious things. But a lot of the things that were like, you know, they were they were mild compared to what we hear in like top 40 rap songs, right? You know, because you're, you're, you're these people are talking about dominating women and have sex with multiple women and doing all these other different things. It's certainly way more vulgar than what Tate would even say in public, right? And the the other thing was is he was constantly talking about you know this cabal of evil people that's like controlling uh, the the money in the world, uh, controlling media, uh, controlling uh, the COVID and the response to it and the vaccine and all these different things. But he predicted that eventually he would have some sort of charge brought down on him and that, you know, he would he would go down for it. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if he actually did the things that he's, you know, been accused of. Would it surprise me if he did those things that they're alleging? No, it actually wouldn't surprise me. Like I, the level of depravity, I assume, with everybody in humanity is pretty high. Would it surprise me if he did none of the things that they're alleging and that this is, you know, an elaborate setup to shut him up? No, that wouldn't surprise me either. Right. I, you know, in this situation, we don't know what truth is and we may never know what truth is. This guy, you know, may just be the sacrificial lamb. But my big takeaway on this one is your idols can and will always let you down. Okay. So this is a lesson to the young men in my audience. And I'm so thankful for y'all that are listening to this because it's a lot of young men that were attracted to the videos and to the, the ramblings of Andrew Tate. And so he says things that are right, things that you're right unquestionably. And then when he says things that are like mildly offensive or things that don't seem to be true, because he's been right on so many other things, you just assume, oh, this must be true as well. And then we start to idolize people. Okay. So obviously we, we know about normal idols you know, we, we idolize professional athletes. We idolize celebrities. We idolize, uh, you know, people in local government or in federal government. We idolize pastors. We idolize our favorite authors. We, we idolize these people. And I always tell people to be careful. And I always name the people that I'm big fans of on the show. Nothing would surprise me, right? I remember a long time ago when I helped out with this organization that repackaged a lot of John Eldridge stuff because apparently they couldn't come up with their own content. They would just repackage John Eldridge stuff and, you know, do camps and do stuff with it. And it was always John Eldridge, John Eldridge, John Eldridge. They would even play prayers that John Eldridge did 
you know, in a room live with a hundred guys, they would just hit play on a, on a prayer that John Eldridge would do, as opposed to just giving a guy a microphone in the room and just having him pray. Right. And I always tried to tell these guys, it's like, guys, if John Eldridge decides to go on a murder rampage and like kill 14 people in his neighborhood and then set himself on fire, like your entire business is predicated on the fact that John Eldridge is not a crazy person. And I know John Eldridge pretty well. I assume that he's never going to do something like that. But do you know for real? Do you really know any of these people? Like, you may assume that I would never do something like that. You don't know what I'm capable of. And you also can't tell the future. If I live to, you know, however long I'm supposed to live, that's another half century on this planet. Can you know that I'm never going to do anything that's going to disappoint you? Right? I even had people this week with the Pitbull stuff. They're like, Kyle, I agree with you about everything, but you're wrong about Pitbulls. Well, you didn't know that you disagreed with me on Pitbulls until I started talking about it. So we just don't know. So don't idolize people, even if they're pastors, even if they seem great. Like I just watched over the weekend, you know, the first episode of, uh, you know, exposing a mega church, all these people that loved Carl Lentz and loved Brian Houston and loved everything around Hillsong. They're, they're having an attack of faith right now because they got saved or think they got saved at a Hillsong event. And now they're like, well, what do I do? Because, you know, apparently there's a, bu- a bunch of sexual deviants over there, right? Don't put your faith in people. Like how many times you have to be disappointed by people before you realize, dummy, stop putting your faith in them. The only thing or entity or person that you can put your faith in that won't let you down is God. God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. Like that's it. Okay. So your idols can, and will always let you down. Take that in. It's, <laughs> it's just good advice for the rest of your life. All right, let's get to the next quick hitter, but I'm going to take a swig of tea because my voice is killing me. Oh, that tea's delicious. Shout out to the Independence Fund for the mug. Let's get into it. Police arresting a man they think is responsible for the brutal stabbing murders of four college students in Idaho. So this is according to Fox News. The suspect arrested Friday in connection to the murders of four University of Idaho students studies criminal justice at Washington State University and was hiding out at his parents' home in eastern Pennsylvania after the killings. Brian Christopher Kohlberger, 28, is a Ph.D. student at the Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology, according to the WSU website. The college town of Pullman, Washington, is about eight miles from the King Road home where Kaylee gone. Sorry, these names. Some of these names are hard. Kaylee Goncalves, 21, Madison Mogan, 21, Ethan Chapin, 20, and Zaina Kernodal, 20, were stabbed to death between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. on November the 13th. Kohlberger was arrested at about 1 30 a.m. on Friday, this was a couple Fridays ago, by local police and the FBI at his parents' home in the gated community of Indian Mountain Lake in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, court and public records show. So this has been a crazy story, okay? Um, It's been crazy from the beginning because there are murders that happen all the time all over the United States, but there was something especially grisly and gruesome about this one. Uh, The nature of the crime, uh, apparently the, the forensic team that came to the scene was having trouble get, doing their jobs because they said the level of blood was astonishing. It was literally seeping through the walls and going through the exterior walls. It was astonishingly gruesome crime where four children, essentially young people, lost their lives all at the same time. Uh, this guy was apparently identified by his car, which was in the area of the, the murder around the time that it happened, and also genealogy data. So publicly available uh, genealogy data was kind of able to lead them because that matched some of the DNA that was left at the crime scene. Uh, this guy, they, they looked into his past and his PhD studies. He was studying how to get away with crimes. He was interviewing criminals, asking them, you know, hey, if you were to kill someone, how do you think you would get away with it? That kind of type of stuff. And one thing I do want to make clear from the very beginning, this guy is innocent until proven guilty. But the authorities 
sure seem to think that they have their guy. Okay, so we'll just leave that there. But here's my big takeaway on this one. Only the Christian worldview gives you a proper delineation between good and evil and a means by which justice should be administered. Okay, because again, I'll go back to what I was talking about earlier with, you know, the Darwinian humanists or something like that. We're just chimps. We're highly evolved chimps that can communicate via language, can, you know, create iPhones and climb to the tops of mountains, right? Like we're, we're just chimps though. So their worldview gives you no foundation with which to argue that one chimp that is stronger killing four chimps that are weaker is wrong. Again, to you new atheists out there, show me how that's wrong because your worldview doesn't give us right and wrong. It gives us preference and not preference. Like you may have preferred that somebody didn't kill these four college students, three gals and one, one guy. It's just your preference because again, kind of tied in with that Darwinian humanist worldviews, this postmodern worldview that your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Your morality is your morality. My morality is my morality, right? So Ravi Zacharias said, said this back a day and another sexual deviant, but he said, basically in some cultures, you know, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Other cultures eat their neighbors, right? They cannibalize them. And so who's correct? Like again, those other worldviews give you no means by which to differentiate between good and evil, and then the means by which justice should be administered. Because here's the thing. If this young man is found guilty, okay, beyond a reasonable doubt, and or if he, you know, confesses to these crimes, he should be killed by the state of Idaho and swiftly. Like, he shouldn't be on death row for 20 or 30 years before a sentence is commuted by some liberal governor. And, you know, basically, oh, we're going to commute his sentence to life in prison or something like that. No, you, you die. Like, we, we get the, the foundation for that argument from the Old Testament, where if you take a life, your blood will be shed. If you take a life, your life will be taken from you. He should be taken out. And in Idaho, they do have that, where they do have the death penalty there. But there, these, these atheists that are outraged by this, I, I would ask you, why? Again, it's just a superior chimp that killed inferior ones. Again, using your worldview, your logic. The level of gruesomeness of the crime should have no bearing on anything because people are like, oh, this is egregious. They don't really care about, you know, the gangbanger that killed another gangbanger or anything like that. But this seems somewhat dirtier and more gruesome, right? But guys, animals all over the globe for millennia have slowly eaten their victims alive. There are some species, a lot of kind of the cat species, they even play with their food before they kill it, right? You know, some animals, you know, they basically take you out and kill you pretty quickly, but then you have like bears that eat you from your butt to your head, right? So you're alive for a very, very long time before you die. Why is this crime any different? Again, we, we, we get nothing from these other worldviews. The only way we know that this murder was wrong is because God told us it was wrong. That's, that's the only way. There's no other way around it. All right, next quick hitter here. Donald Trump blaming pro-lifers for the lack of a red wave during the midterm elections last year. So this was according to Donald Trump here recently on his true social accounts. So I don't know what these things are called, truths or truthers or what, I don't know. But he posted this on January the 1st at 1.37 p.m. So this was it. 
It wasn't my fault that the Republicans didn't live up to expectations in the midterms. Again, he's setting himself up for 2024. I was 233 to 20. It was the abortion issue, poorly handled by many Republicans, especially those that firmly insisted on no exceptions, even in the case of rape, incest, or life of the mother. That lost large numbers of voters. Also, the people that pushed so hard for decades against abortion got their wish from the U.S. Supreme Court and just plain disappeared, not to be seen again. Plus, Mitch Stupid Monies. So I don't know if Mitch McConnell, I don't know what stupid monies is. Anyway, I don't really understand what a lot of that is. And I don't really understand why he capitalizes certain words and not other words. So here are my, here are my questions to, to those of you that are listening to this. Okay. So whether you're a Trump guy or not Trump guy or whatever, does this seem like the guy you want to run for president to represent the Republican, Republican party? That guy, the guy that just stream of conscious that and just bleh, put it out there into the world. Does that seem like the guy? Do you think that guy can beat Joe Biden? Because again, he's 0-1 against Joe Biden before, and this was before January 6th, but you know, everyone has their opinion about January 6th, but there are a lot of people that think that was the attempted overthrow of the United States government predicated on the words of Donald Trump, right? So we can assume that Donald Trump's not going to get more votes than he did, and you, you think he's going to beat Joe Biden? That Donald Trump? But here's, I guess, the big one. Do you guys realize it's not 2016 anymore? Again, Donald Trump's ascension from celebrity billionaire to president of the United States is one of the most incredible things we've ever seen in modernity ever. Like there should be whole sections of history that are dedicated to just trying to figure out what in the world happened in 2016. And again, the fact that he was elected in 2016, got three Supreme court justices and you know, it was unbelievable in terms of the grandeur and positives that it created for the United States of America in the first three years of his presidency. It was incredible. Like almost to an unprecedented degree, but it's just—is this the guy now? It's not 2016 anymore. We don't have the new shine. We don't have everything. His routine seems tired at this point. He announces he's running for president, and then he basically goes and hides. Which again, you announce for, you're running for president like 14 seconds after the midterms are over, and it's like, are you really going to keep this up for two years, buddy? Like, are you going to keep this momentum up for two years? Like, what are you going to get going? So I just don't know. Again, I proudly voted for him in 2020. Proudly did. And if he is the Republican nominee for president, I will proudly vote for him against Joe Biden. If those are my only two options, obviously, I would go with Donald Trump over somebody like Joe Biden. But my big takeaway on this one, even, even though the story is kind of sensational and maybe you heard about it, maybe you didn't, is as I've said over and over again, it will maintain into the future. I'm not sure that former president Donald Trump is actually pro-life in his heart, but he is still the most pro-life president in United States history. Without question. Again, I will, he can say and do whatever he wants for the remainder of his life, but he got us Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and ACB. Those three were three of the deciding votes to overturn one of the worst decisions in the history of the Supreme Court, the Roe v. Wade decision and Planned Parenthood v. Casey as a throw-in, right? Donald Trump did that. Now, you can say, hey, Ted Cruz would have done the same thing had he won, and, you know, you know Marco Rubio, and what? okay, but we don't live in a parallel universe where we can see if that's true or not. All we know is that Donald Trump got more electoral college votes than Hillary Clinton in 2016. He went into the White House and got three picks. And here we are, we don't have Roe v. Wade, which doesn't mean the fight for life is over. Certainly, it's, getting, it's just getting started. There are a lot of nefarious things happening, even at the state level, to make sure that women can continue to murder their children. But we'll just have to see how it goes. But he is the most pro-life president ever. 
by his actions. I don't care about how he feels in his heart. All right, last quick hitter here. Time Magazine saying that white supremacy is the origin of exercise. So this is according to Time Magazine. Well, actually, the title of the piece is The White Supremacist Origins of Exercise and Six Other Surprising Facts About the History of U.S. Physical Fitness. So this is literally the first sentence of this piece by a gal named Olivia Waxman. How did U.S. exercise trends go from reinforcing white supremacy to celebrating Richard Simmons? Like, I just can't. How did we get here? How did we get here, guys? Like, uh, voices given out on me. Hopefully it'll last another five minutes or so. But apparently this article, this Time Magazine article, is reviewing a new book by Natalia Mailman Petrozella. What's with all the names on this podcast? Anyway, the, the book is called Fit Nation, The Gains and Pains of America's Exercise Obsession. And this article was a Q&A with the author, okay? So they asked her this. They asked her, what's the most surprising thing you learned in your research? And this was her response. It was super interesting reading the reflections of fitness enthusiasts in the early 20th century. They said we should get rid of corsets. Corsets are an assault on women's form and that women should be lifting weights and gaining strength. At first, you feel like it's so progressive. Then you keep reading and they're saying white women should start building their strength because we need more white babies. They're writing during an incredible amount of immigration soon after enslaved people had been emancipated. This is totally part of a white supremacy problem. Project. So that was the real holy crap moment as a historian where deep archival research really reveals the contradictions of this moment. Like, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I know I'm a pessimistic guy. I know I can be a jerk. I'm anal retentive. I'm all these negative things. But what? What exactly is that? Like, how do you get to be an adult? You know how to tie your shoes. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. And you read things. And this is what you decide is what all this data and all this research coalesces in. This. That the whole reason that we're obsessed with working out today began with the fact that we wanted to make more white babies somehow. So before I like blow a gasket and lose whatever's left of my voice, I'm going to move to my big takeaway on this one. And you've heard everyone say this, and it's absolutely true. If everything is racist, then nothing is racist. Like we, we have a tech, I have a text, you know, thread with a few friends and like once every week or two, one of us will find a story that says something else is racist. So remember when shark week was racist? Cause it showed too many, you know, white Marine biologists that were named Mike or something like that. Uh, this particular restaurant is, uh, you know, racist because they serve this, that, this, that, or the other thing. I saw one with the DeMar Hamlin thing. Like this just shows the reality of the violence that black men experience in America playing football. And then you have this story from Time Magazine and this book that's probably going to become a New York Times bestseller. Okay. But here's my message to everybody. Cause it's the beginning of the year. Everyone's excited. You know, new year, new me, right? You, you wasted a whole bunch of time and effort. You ate way too much pie over the holidays and everything like that. And you're like, okay, you know, now I'm going to get myself together and I'm actually going to get going. So to all of you that I have motivated in some way to get out there and exercise this year, I say, have fun participating in white supremacy, you racist bigots. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. Add a daunted life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. <coughs> Almost made it without coughing, but here we go. We're almost there. 
Go to the Origin website. Guys, check out their full line of Origin and Jocko Fuel products. That's geese, jeans, boots, protein, energy drinks, supplements, and much more. Also, their hunting gear. Use the promo code UNDAUNTED to get 10% off your order. And then I've got links to everything else that we talked about today in the Quick Hitters. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah <laughs>